Hey crew, before we get started on this season, I just wanted to say welcome back to Enterprising Individuals. We're so excited to embark on the fifth year of the show. Ha! Five. Take that, Enterprise. Uh, whether we'll make it to the requisite seven seasons like a Trek show, it's a conversation for a different time. You might notice a few changes around the show this year, uh, just like DS9 and Voyager or any show that makes it past four seasons. We're doing a little retooling and repiloting, if you will, so look for a few surprises. Here's your first surprise. You're getting this episode, our premiere of season five, a little bit early. Season 5 proper won't begin in earnest until February, so wait for that. But today's episode is about one Jean-Luc Picard, and we wanted to make sure that we publish it ahead of the premiere of Star Trek Picard, which is out this week, Thursday the 23rd, on CBS All Access. And guess what? We'll be doing live recap and discussion shows every Thursday for all 10 episodes of Picard, just like we did for the short treks and for both seasons of Star Trek Discovery. We call our recap show Star Trek Discoverage, and we're expanding the brand to cover all the new CBS all-access Star Trek shows, starting with Picard this Thursday, January the 23rd. Unlike Discovery, episodes of Picard won't be coming out in the primetime block. They're being released at 12.01 a.m., on Thursday, which means we'll be doing things a little differently. We used to go live you know, around 70 minutes after Discovery was released and dropped on CBS. That way you could watch the show, we watch the show, uh, we all take a bathroom break, come back, and then you hear us discuss the new episode live. Uh, with no time pressure, we, that is myself and Ella Pearson, my co-host, were planning to go live with our special guest at 7 p.m. this Thursday, the 23rd. So for you, watch the episode whenever you're going to do that. Uh, probably at 12.01 a.m., you weirdo. Then tune in to us at 7 p.m. Central that night to hear us discuss the new episode and the return of Jean-Luc Picard to Star Trek. I can't even believe it. Follow us on Twitter at at E-I-S-T-P-O-D to get notified when we're going live, and you can listen to us there or on our Spreaker page. And tweet to us during the show. Uh, join the conversation. Use the hashtag Discoverage when you do. Discoverage rides again alongside enterprising individuals in 2020. As always, you can follow us on social media at EISTPOD for updates or to just say hello and consider joining our network's Discord channel. We've got a great bunch of nerds talking about all kinds of pop culture on the Just Enough Trope Network Discord. You can find a link to it in the show notes of this episode. And if you'd like to help the show grow, please consider checking out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash EISTPod. We've got all kinds of goodies and extra content for members of the show. All right, that's it for the sales pitches. I'll definitely be back with more of those in the future. But for now, please enjoy my talk with Kevin Church, one of my favorite people to talk to about Star Trek and pop culture. We had a great talk about Jean-Luc Picard and what he's up to. I hope you like it. And with that, let's get another season of Enterprising Individuals underway. Hailing Frequencies Open, and welcome to Enterprising Individuals, the Star Trek discussion podcast that boldly goes into excruciating detail about the series, characters, and stories of the Star Trek universe. 
I'm your host, Aaron Cooker, a.k.a. Caliban, and I believe that the more difficult the task, the sweeter the victory, which is why I open candy bars with my feet. I'm joined in this episode once again by Kevin Church. Kevin is an SEO content manager and specialist. He's also a writer and editor. has been published on StarTrek.com, ComicsAlliance.com, and Pace Magazine. He's also written for a variety of comics and web comics, such as Adventure Time, Bravest Warriors, Regular Show, She Died in Terabon, and The Rack. Kevin, welcome back to the show. Always glad to be here. It's great to have you. Permission to come aboard granted. Today we'll be talking about Captain's Holiday, the 19th episode of the third season of Star Trek The Next Generation. The characters of modern Star Trek shows are some of the most intriguing and well-drawn of any sci-fi franchise, but in reality that wasn't necessarily a given. The oppressive nature of weekly television production means that it's far more easy to write for a character that never grows or changes, and in fact, many of the adventures of the Enterprise under Captain Kirk found the crew's beliefs and values being challenged and found superior and unchangeable. But with the advent of a new Star Trek series and the debut of new and ambitious writers and creators, the next generation of Trek would introduce the world to a cast of protagonists who were noble but fallible and who would explore not only the galaxy, but their own beliefs and preconceptions. But we'll talk about that a little later in the show. First, Kevin, it's great to have you back on the show. And a lot has happened in the real world and in the world of Trek since you were on last year. Yeah, yeah, I got married. That's the most congratulations. <laughs> yeah, um, but yes, it's it's been an exciting uh, for Star Trek fans. It's been fraught and exciting at the same time. It, uh, <laughs> every a... every fan cringes because they, you know their favorite thing's not going to get the the mention they want, the thing that they want. But then we get things like an entire season of Captain Pike running the Discovery and yeah. <laughs> return of. I'll say it, the best actor in Star Trek to the role that he defined. I don't uh, think I, that I that's... I can't get over. Yeah. I can't get over that we're getting Picard back. Yeah, that's uh, that's not a stretch to say, I don't think. And that's a great way to describe it. It's like exciting and terrifying at the same time. But I think so far they've they've done pretty well. And I'm looking forward to uh, some of the things that they've got in store. The last time that we talked, uh, you were an SEO manager for Namecheap which is the hosting provider that I use. Uh, you've worked previously in SEO for Vistaprint. That's where I get my promotional materials. You're now an SEO manager for Swappa, where I get my business machines from. If you end up managing uh, search traffic for Spreaker, my podcast host, you're going to en- encompass my every aspect of my business. Uh, they didn't have any openings. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, but yes. <laughs> no, I'm really, I'm really opportunity. I, I'm going to get a chance to say, uh, I tweeted about this, but Swappa does something really unique in that uh, anybody that's buying electronics on the big platforms uh, from individual sellers like Amazon or eBay, yeah. there's always some tension. You know, you don't know if you're gonna like dealing with a real human, if you're dealing with a um, with a fraud, a fraudulent transaction, anything like that. Yeah. And those sites are so big they can't really manage individual transactions. One of the things I really love about Swappa, and it's one of the reasons I, I wanted to work with them so much is they really do handle one-on-one. You actually are dealing, your entire deal is like, can you can go to a customer service person anytime and with a problem yeah. and they will resolve the issue for you. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, eBay nowadays has gotten more and more into the, we only care about our power sellers. Mm-hmm. Amazon is so easily gamed and you can buy fake reviews that having a human-centric marketplace, uh, I guess think it's a great thing. Yeah. So yes, 
Uh, I, and I, I'm really excited. I, I'm starting literally my first day is tomorrow, so I'm oh, excited. Wow! Okay, excited. I'm excited at the the chance to do what I what I want to do there. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I'm not getting paid for this, but I I uh, I really do like Swappa, and I've uh, done several transactions there, and it's always really easy. And you get exactly, you know, what is described, you know, uh, you're looking for a gently used phone or a tablet or device, and it's a great way to get hooked up with sellers or even sell if you're looking for buyers. Yeah. You know what? I'll see what I can do about getting them to sponsor the podcast. Oh, yeah. That sounds great. (laughs) All right. We'll talk about that later. Uh, (laughs) You had an article uh, published last year on StarTrek.com titled Eight Times Leonard Bones McCoy's Medical Knowledge Saved the Day, which was a very nice piece. And it reminded me just how often Bones was working miracles uh in all aspects of uh, all shows and movies he's appeared in and what's great is like everyone thinks of scotty as the miracle worker but bones so often has it's not engineering a lot of times Uh, so many times it's how do i take this completely different biology and and do crazy things that and you know how do i put a brain back into a vulcan skull yeah right things like that (laughs) um like Scotty, Scotty, you know, just has to keep those engines running. Bones has to keep 400 and some odd crew members, all with wildly different biologies and psychologies. Yeah. So yeah, I, uh, Bones. Uh, I, I'll, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Bones is the best character in fiction because I think he's such a great like audience stand-in on Star Trek, the original series. Yeah. Because he's the one that says the thing that you're oftentimes thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I also like how uh, he's known as the grousy guy and he kind of complains a lot but he's also i've mentioned this i think on the show before but he's also he can get like ice cold when the situation requires it like if somebody threatens him he he's not having any of that you know he's immediately like yeah you do what you have to do that brilliant scene with khan just yeah yeah what where to cut his neck that's just Ah, Bones, best character in fiction. Yes, and I know Batman exists. He's great. <laughs> yeah, I, I put Bones up against Batman, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> I've been following you on Twitter. You're you're a great follow. I've noticed that you seem to be in the middle of a TNG rewatch right now. That's right. Uh, the wife never watched Next Generation. She knew about it. She knew the characters, but she never really watched it. Interesting. So we're doing a Picard-centric rewatch. We've been going through chronologically. And I'm hoping we get to um, all good things before Picard's show debuts, but also because it's on a streaming service, we can probably wait until Saturday or Sunday to watch yeah, yeah. the debut of the Picard show, and I just need to mute his name on Twitter. Yeah, right. I've got to say, um, what I've seen with the Star Trek series, much more than other like Netflix and other streaming services things, fans are very respectful about spoilers because there's something Star Trek fans have, have been dealing with for decades yeah certainly we don't want spoilers we want to experience the story ourselves so i I, at least that's what i've noticed discovery fans tend to want you to experience the same thing they're experiencing so hopefully that continues with picard um and yeah it's been a really fun rewatch uh getting a chance to really enjoy how much patrick stewart brings the role we watched the inner light yesterday oh yeah um, and it's what it's one of my favorite science fiction stories, but I don't know if it's like really a great Star Trek story, but mm. it's such a great piece of science fiction. Yeah, that um, his performance is so like when he comes out of the probe's influence and yeah. he's like brought into the present day, he he's acting without acting much, and yeah. it's just uh, he's, he's just a marvelous guy to watch. The last time I watched that, I timed that moment, and it's it's from when he opens his eyes to when he 
you know, addresses um, R- Riker or, you know, the dialogue starts up again. It's 30 seconds. And yeah. that, that's an eternity on TV. And the that fact is. that they had so much faith in him and the script and what needed to happen for the character, it just says so much about the respect that they had for him uh, as an actor. There's another great moment at the end of the episode uh, where I think either Picard or Riker, one of them has the last line in that scene where he comes and he brings him the flute. And there's this this little, he hands the box, uh, Riker hands the box to Picard, and then it's a little bit of Franks, I think, maybe not Riker, but he's sort of like, invisibly tips the hat to him and it's like take us home like here we go and he leaves the room and then of course we have that great scene where he picks up and plays the flute it's great frank's being such a good director yeah so i can definitely see him going okay i'm going to do a little more here than than what's called for in the script yeah because it's patrick's going to walk out the door walk out the door (laughs) take it away yeah Yeah. you have a music blog called disco potential what was the inspiration behind starting that uh, I, I, I've had it for years. It's actually named after a Pet Shop Boys B-side. Okay. And it started off kind of as a blog about uh, disco-centric music because I am actually a huge fan of disco. Sure. Uh, and not just the, the big stuff that you all think of when you when you hear the word disco, but like Sol Sol going back to the clubs in New York, what they were actually playing on the dance floor that wasn't the soundtrack to Saturday Night Fever. Sure. Things like that. But um, it just kind of spun out from there. Sometimes I just throw up, I'll hear a song, I'm like, yeah, I haven't heard that in a while. Actually, today I was thinking about uh, Dolly Parton. Huh. Thinking about, uh, I mean, I grew up in the South, so yeah. yeah, I think about Dolly Parton a fair amount. I was like, you know, I could, I could put a Dolly song up on there. It's my blog. Nobody's going to say anything. Also, it's just, it's just been puttering along for years. I used to do DJ mixes for it. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, I used to do full-fledged DJ mixes for it, but... Eh, just never get at the point where you're just doing them to do them and you don't want to do that anymore. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I, uh, Dolly Parton's having something of a renaissance uh, yeah. again. I feel like every five or 10 years, people rediscover Dolly Parton. Maybe it's yes. new musical generations, but yeah, always good to see her back. Yeah, I was, uh, I was, it was Here You Come Again. Right. I don't know. It's, it's a song I, it's one that came out in like 81 or something. Uh, and it's just one of those songs that, uh, Actually, I just looked it up. It came out in 77, and it's from the movie Dumplin'. <laughs> of course. Classic. Yeah, but I was just thinking about that song, and I, oh, it's a good song. And that's, But Dolly, I, I think Dolly's going to be, like, timeless. She's like Elvis. It's going to be like everybody rediscovers, like, why people loved her music. The Beatles is the same way. But Dolly, uh, there's not as many country musicians that kind of fit into that niche, but Dolly definitely is up there. For sure. Also, she's a great human being. Oh, yeah. Like, she gives so much to help uh, with childhood literacy. Yeah. She's a huge part of the economy in Tennessee. Things like that. Yeah. She's got cool tats, too. Yeah, she does. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Last time you were on the show, we talked about the TOS episode, The Enterprise Incident, which, of course, features the Romulans. Uh, Now we've got a Picard show imminently releasing, and Romulans will feature heavily in that. Did you get a chance to read the Picard Countdown comic from IDW? I did not yet. Uh, that's one I'll probably wait until uh, it's all collected. Sure. Before I get. sure. Uh, IDW's, con- uh, when Sarah Gatos left IDW to become editor-in-chief at Oni, I noticed their Star Trek output went down around the same time. Yeah. Uh, I, I should go back. I know I'm missing uh, the Gear 5, or was that what it was, or Year 5 miniseries, or 
they did they did some miniseries. I know they had a DC Fontana written story for that. Yeah, yeah. And some other and some other stuff. But no, I've not I've not checked that out yet. But when I first heard about the Picard series, my first thought was they're going to tie it to the refugee crisis. Sure. They're going to tie it they're going to tie it to Star Trek 2009 and Picard's not going to be part of Starfleet anymore because of some decision somebody made. And I'm really wondering how right I was. Uh, I won't ruin it for you, but you're not necessarily wrong. Uh, wow. And yeah, you're right that this is very similar to the Countdown comic they did 10 years ago when uh, Star Trek 2009 came out. Yeah, that comic was really interesting because apparently they've they've had to on they've had to retcon. Uh, you know, they had to say, "Oh, that's apocrypha," even though at the time it was, it was supposed as to be canonical. Yeah. As, <laughs> I'll get to it. Um, that's it's just something about. Uh, like tie-in comics of that specific nature. I've never quite ever like grabbed onto them as much as I have. Here's some other stories involving them. I don't know. Tying it specifically to movies and stuff just makes them feel like the comics are less special. They're just a marketing device, which I know that, Yeah. but don't, don't tell me that. (laughs) Yeah. I feel that. Uh, I did read uh, some of the discovery tie-ins though, and I found those to be on the whole generally really well done and interesting. I, there was an, annual i want to say or a special or something there was there a tilly comic i there must have been i, I read yeah. there was a captain uh, there's a saru focused one that was pretty good oh oh yeah about saru being captain for the brief period yeah. yeah yeah no i did read that no okay yeah that was good no tilly is our household's patron angel she's a sweet <laughs> sure and if they do anything to her we will tear down <laughs> we slash CBS's offices <laughs> until we get answers. Yeah. Well, why did you choose this specific episode, Captain's Holiday, to discuss today? Well, like I said, we've been um, we've been doing a Picard-centric rewatch of TNG, and it was such a great alternative to so much of the darker stories uh-huh. that are centered around the character, or heavy. I shouldn't necessarily say darker, but heavy, even though Best of Both Worlds gets pretty dark family is not a light episode even though it's not necessarily about how bad picard had it but it's about him having to reconnect with people uh but this one was real just a real i remember it being a fun episode so when i rewatched it it was uh it's been over a decade since i'd seen it and of course i've read a lot of the material that i think it's riffing off of yeah um in the in the interim and i really enjoyed it a lot and patrick stewart really seems to be enjoying himself <laughs> he does like he, he like he is always a consummate professional but in in this episode in particular he just seems to be like you know i'm gonna make a star trek i'm gonna <laughs> do a star trek <laughs> and it's also got some uh the, the costume like my wife likes to talk about like how voluminous and how big a lot of the clothing is on TNG. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and she, and it's got like those William Ware uh, these costumes on the women again. And, and even Picard himself, he's, you know, showing off quite a lot of skin for, uh, I think, uh, Patrick was like 52 years old. Yeah. So, or something like that. And he looks, he looks fantastic. And, uh, he's wearing a great, he's wearing, great clothes and he's having an adventure that's all and it's also so different from the rest of t so many tng episodes including some i really like are we went to this planet there was a, a problem with these two people we had to solve it in some way 
let's go elsewhere. And it's such a departure for the show. It's a character-centric departure. And also the idea of him going for never having gone on shore leave. Uh, uh, I just, I, I realized the other day that I've not had a vacation where I did not work in some way. Yeah. Yeah. In like five years. Like I didn't have my laptop. Like we went to, we went back to see my wife's family in Kansas over Christmas. And she's like, should you bring the laptop? You're, you know, you're, you're hoping for a job and stuff. And I'm like, nah, let's just disconnect entirely. Yeah. And, you know, seeing him disconnect entirely, you know, with a, uh, James Joyce novel and, uh, <laughs> and, a, and a, a sex totem, yeah. <laughs> which is like, I, I love that Riker, Riker, Riker pulling that prank on, on Picard is just one of my favorite. Bits. He's a scamp. I've always fascinated at the way that characters develop in like serial media, like TV shows or comics or even long running movie franchises like the MCU. You you come up with a basic pitch for a character, a show Bible entry, you know, and the idea is you're going to try and develop them. But who knows? You know, things might not go that way. We never really learn all that much about Sulu or Chekhov, except one's kind of a smart ass and the other thinks that Russians invented everything. And it could easily have been the same with the TNG characters. Yet the writers behind the show like made this concentrated effort to push them out of their comfort zone and add dimensions to them and show them grow in unexpected ways and do things like this. Go on like solo adventures that have nothing to do with being in uh, Starfleet and Unfortunately, it seems like that really got rolling once Gene Roddenberry had to relinquish control of the series. That's uh, uh, that's exactly it. Uh, I um, the less control Roddenberry had, direct control Roddenberry seemed to have over Star Trek: The Next Generation, the more human the show became. Yeah. Um, I I just uh, I can't believe I didn't mention this right off the bat. Should have made you pitch it. I started a blog reviewing the old Star Trek novels of the eighties. Oh. Because I don't have enough to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's actually, there's a link from theyboldlywent.com. There's a link for books. It's theyboldlywent.com slash trekbooks. And I just reread Gene Roddenberry's novelization of Star Trek The Motion Picture. Oh, sure. That guy's got some weird ideas. <laughs> he does not like anybody that's not perfect in some in every way. Yeah, it's weird. Like, like you realize how much Shatner brings to Kirk when you read Kirk unfiltered <laughs> written by the guy that created him. You're like, this guy's kind of terrible. Yeah. And, and rude, uh, charmless, charmless. That's the word. And, um, watching Riker and Troy move away from just being Decker and Ilea that have been reskinned for series. <laughs> yeah, use, yeah. And watching them become, friends and then you know later on they get married and everything but watching them like have arcs as people and talk to each other about things like their relationships which you know in tos never 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 was even you did not make television like that that was genre tv then yeah uh, and that's the biggest that's i think that's one of the biggest differences is that they brought the tng writer staff brought broader tv writing techniques to star trek I don't know if they necessarily realized that they were doing it um, at, with with purposefully. Uh, we know with purpose. Yeah. Or if they were just doing something that they thought made a better show. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know if yeah. they were going. Well, we saw this worked on moonlighting, so we're going to do it a lot. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I don't think that they were doing that. I think they were like, I'd really like these act these actors to get to do more things. Yeah. 
I think they were trying, but I think it definitely Gene stepping away had a huge uh, part uh, or a huge part to play in that. And then, of course, after he unfortunately passed, you know, the fourth season kicks off and the dust settles from Best of Both Worlds and we get family. Yes. Which is, uh, for my money, and uh, I didn't realize until yesterday when we were watching Rascals, the same kid plays Picard's nephew as plays the baby Picard in Rascals. Right, yep. (laughs) I did not realize that until I'm like five minutes into Rascals. I'm like, it's the kid! Yeah. But, um, yeah, Family's just one of those episodes that, again, it's heavy, but it's got so... It's a character-driven episode. Star Trek did not do character-driven episodes. No, not really. Yeah, They did episodes that were thematic and plot-driven, but, like... Even episodes like, um, oh my gosh, For the World is Hollow and I, I've Touched the Sky. Yeah, There's a kind of a plot. McCoy's arc in it is the B story to the A story. Right, there. right, yeah. Well, this episode we're talking about is Captain's Holiday. It is the 19th episode of the third season of TNG. It first aired on April 2nd, 1990. It was written by Ira Stephen Bear, who we've already talked about many times on this show, but I'll mention quickly that he was a writer and executive producer on DS9. He was the chief engineer of the Dominion War story arc on that show. He was also a producer on TNG in season three. He collaborated previously on the teleplay for the TNG episode Yesterday's Enterprise, This was his first solo script for Trek. He also introduced the concept of the Ferengi rules of acquisition, and he wrote most of the rules, which appeared in the franchise. And outside of Trek, he's had a lot of other work. Uh, He worked on series Dark Angel. He worked on the Twilight Zone reboot in 2002, uh, the show The 4400, and he was a big part of the show Alphas, which I really enjoyed. It was cut short too soon. Uh, And he also wrote for the Stars series Crash and Outlander, along with Ronald D. Moore. The episode was directed by Chip Chalmers. This is the first episode that he directed for Trek, but he'd go on to direct four episodes of TNG and two of DS9. He was also a first assistant director on 12 episodes of TNG. Uh, Before he began his career in film, he worked as a magician, apparently, in Los Angeles. And apparently he got very ill during the production of this episode, and he spent time in between takes, uh, passed out on a cot on set. And then once once they had everything set up, they'd be like, (laughs) okay, and then action, and then go back to the cot. But I appreciate his work ethic pushing through. Chalmers uh, directed "Take Me Out, Take Me Out to the Holodeck." There you he go. The baseball episode of Deep Space Nine, yeah. which uh, apparently I did not know this. A lot of people hate, but I'm like, <laughs> it features Worf in a baseball cap, right? <laughs> screaming at people, right? This is the high point of the franchise, guys. <laughs> uh, the starter for the episode is four three seven four five point two, and your assignment, Kevin, if you can, is to give us a twenty five word synopsis of Captain's Holiday. Uh, okay. Do you like Raymond Chandler? <laughs> Iris even Bear does. <laughs> uh, enough said, I think. Yeah. And then maybe other uh, stuff that dreams are made of or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, here's some interesting facts from the memory banks about this episode. And we'll talk more specifically about the origins behind the ideas in this episode a little later. But one of the show's inspirations was apparently Picard actor Patrick Stewart complaining that uh, the captain needed more action on the show. Iris Stephen Bear recalled in the documentary Chaos on the Bridge that, quote, Patrick kept saying that the trouble with the show is that there's not uh, there's not enough effing and effing. That is fighting, <laughs> fighting and fornicating. 
Uh, the place uh, that uh, all the uh, sex and shooting takes place in this episode is, of course, the planet Ryza. This is the first appearance of the pleasure planet Ryza, the first time it's mentioned in the franchise. It would, of course, remain a staple in the Trek universe and even be mentioned in prequel series Enterprise and Discovery. The episode marks the last appearance of an Andorian in a Trek show until Enterprise's The Andorian Incident 11 years later. And the Tox Uthat, the MacGuffin in this episode, has the ability to halt all nuclear fusion within a star. That's a capability shared by the device developed by Tolian Soren in the film Star Trek Generations. Let's talk about the guest stars in this episode. This episode, of course, features the introduction of Jennifer Hetrick in the role of Vash. This is the introduction of that character. She'd appear again in the episodes Cupid in TNG and Q-less in DS9. And she's appeared mostly in guest roles on various TV series. She had a recurring role on the NBC series LA Law around the time of this episode's release. She's also appeared in popular shows such as The X-Files, Sliders, Beverly Hills 90210, Buffy the Vampire Slayer 24, and she was in a 2018 episode of the CBS series Code Black. And... I don't know if this is true or not, but Patrick Stewart apparently took credit for uh, the idea of this character. He said in the Chaos on the Bridge documentary that, quote, uh, I've got a feeling our audience might like to see the captain just getting blown away by meeting somebody new. And Iris Even Bear interpreted that as, uh, in his own words, quote, a ballsy woman who's not your typical Star Trek woman, a clear thinker, both in terms of what she did in her own life and sex and the whole bit. And I think that that uh, we, we see that come out of the character of Vash. The episode also features Max Grudenchik as the Ferengi Sovak. Uh, this is Grudenchik's first Trek role, though he would, of course, go on to play Rom on all seven seasons of Deep Space Nine. He would also play the Ferengi Par Lenore in the fifth season episode, The Perfect Mate. And he would play the first Grand Nagus, uh, whose name is Gint, I believe, in the dream sequence in the fourth season episode of DS9, Body Parts. Karen Landry and Michael Champion appear as the Vorgons. Landry was best known for her recurring role of Myra White on the TV series St. Elsewhere, and Champion has had a variety of TV and film roles during his career. He appeared in the movies Total Recall, Beverly Hills Cop, and History of the World Part 1. And finally, Deidre Immershine appears as Joval, one of the hostesses on Ryza. Uh, she'd be seen again in Trek as Lieutenant Watley in the DS9 episode Trials and Tribulations. She's the Deck 15 girl. Oh wow! I I was watching when I was watching Captain's Holiday. I kept on looking at um, Boratus's face, and I was like, his eyes. Yeah, yeah. His eyes were had me magnetized, and it took me forever until I was like, it's the Total Recall guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he has like three lines in Total. No, Recall. yeah, it's not a lot. <laughs> but he's, his look, because he has these glasses, and he has these piercing blue eyes. I really actually love those the the way those aliens look. Because it's such a huge prosthesis yeah. that even if their dialogue is kind of muffled and everything, it's it was a very ambitious design. There's a yeah, there's a design aesthetic for Star Trek when they're going sort of beyond what they do. Because these are like what like what happens in the twenty seventh century? Like these are like yeah. they're extra aliens, they're extra Trek. Yeah. They 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 have like three foreheads. Yeah, <laughs> multicolored holograms and yeah, and yeah. <laughs> Uh, there's a funny story connected to the development of this episode. I received Bear's original script, uh, which he actually developed with input from uh, Ron Moore, uh, only featured Ryza as just a setting, really. Um, Captain Picard would go to Ryza, and on the planet he'd discover uh, a game or an attraction there that would confront the user with their greatest fears. And in the case of Captain Picard, this would be him living in a future where he has um, 
a boring desk job as an admiral, maybe something similar to where he's at in, in Picard. And he'd have to deal with his feelings about obsolescence and that possible future. And Michael Piller, who was the uh, new showrunner at this point, loved the idea, but Gene Roddenberry, who's still the executive producer, didn't like it. And he hated, uh, he nixed the idea because in his mind, like a lot of his ideas about the future, people in the 24th century w- weren't afraid of death. They weren't afraid of being obsolete and nobody, everybody would love their jobs. Uh, the part he did like, however, was the idea of a sexually open vacation planet. And he asked Bear to write lots of scenes with people making out and women are kissing women and men are kissing men. And we're going to imply that everybody's doing it in the background, which is admirable, admirable, I guess, because we didn't get a lot of same-sex relationships in Trek at this time. But uh, Bear knew that this would never get past the censors, so he took it to Rick Berman. And I think like a lot of decisions that Gene made, Rick was like, don't worry about it. Just just write the episode however you want. Just ignore him. And then later, Berman told Roddenberry, yeah, I don't think we can afford to cast all these half-naked making-out extras, so we're going to have to cut all those parts. And that's how we got this episode that we got. <laughs> That uh, Berman, uh, I, I know views on him are controversial, but one of the things, he was good at running around Roddenberry. Yes, <laughs> keeping yeah. things on track. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, it'd be, I, I, in some alternate universe, I'd like to see some what-if comic maybe where there is no Berman and we see where Roddenberry takes the show to a, another third season cancellation. But uh, yeah, Berman, yeah, Berman definitely knew. And he said this before in interviews that like he just wanted to preserve... Gene's idea, even if like Gene's idea strayed off of what Gene's idea was, like he he wanted to keep this show and this this like concept of this show going on the rails, and I think he accomplished that. This is a pretty well done episode. It's it's right in the middle of the sweet spot of season three where the show really takes off, and one of the reasons I think the show becomes so strong is that it's willing to do an episode like this. It doesn't have anything to do with the, the mission of Starfleet. It's just you know like we said before, taking one character and just developing them, following them in some adventure that's off the Enterprise. The the show has a really great rhythm. Yeah. Like if you, you're just scrolling through Netflix, like starting in its third season, it does. It's like space story, space story, bottle episode, odd story. Space story, space story, bottle episode, a personal story. Right. It, 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 it really does. Uh, the, the quality jump is so remarkable. Like the second season has a few really standout moments, and then come the third season, ah, I mean, again, it's not my favorite Star Trek, but there is a lot to love about TNG when it hits its stride. Yeah, and it really remains strong. Um, pretty much, I'd say, well, to the end of the sixth season, um, there are some big misses, but they are. Yeah. But they're trying something, you know, so you'd have like, yeah, like you said before, the rhythm would kind of change to three or four very solid episodes. And then one that's like, all right, I guess you had to try to tell this story or maybe you just couldn't be that good that long and you had to sort of blow off a bad one. But yeah, the, the show really does stay solid for a lot of this time. And as you mentioned earlier, I like the way that the TNG characters um, have bullet points, you know, sort of in their on their character sheet, you know, Picard uh, lost a ship. He likes his dead friend's wife. Uh, He's into archeology span and they're so successful. I think at finding interesting ways to not only do an episode that touches on those, those bullet points, but also uses them to really uh, broaden the characters. And you brought up Cisco and baseball before. I think that's a great example. Like him liking baseball is a fun thing. It can lead to a fun episode like, 
uh, Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite, but it's put to amazing use immediately in the pilot when he's using the progression of an inning you know, in the sport of baseball as this desperate attempt to try and explain how linear time works to these nonlinear aliens. Yeah. They, uh, and of, uh, and of course, first of all, you'd have to get aliens to sit down and watch a whole baseball game. <laughs> yeah. Right. You can't get Americans and, to do that. And you can't get, I mean, I, I live with two of the biggest teams in baseball within a short subway yeah. ride. And I'm not, I'm not sitting in a stadium for 19 hours to watch a baseball game. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, um, that's uh, that's baseball's problem, though. Uh, of course, it dies out. I can't remember when exactly they say it dies out, but it's soon in our timeline. It's in like the yeah. 2030s or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's going to be like there's going to be the World Series. The the, the the Tokyo team is going to win the World yeah, Series. Yeah, Buck Bokai is in, is in the minors right now warming up. Yeah. So. <laughs> We're going to get there. We're going to get there. Uh, a bad example of what I'm talking about is Harry Kim plays the clarinet. I don't know what you do with that but they don't ever really do much with that. It's, it's one of those things um, when, when they do those bullet points and they don't like follow through, uh, it, it got real bad on enterprise. Yeah. Those characters were starved for anything outside of, you know, um, what's his name? Grumpy British man. Whose name just le- fled my head. Malcolm enterprise Malcolm. Yeah. His whole thing is, that he's part of a military family. That's like his entire character. And yeah. I'm like, no, do something with that. Yeah. And struggles to live up to their expectations is, does he want to do something that's not just strict military stuff? Does he want to be a botanist? Does he want to, you know, <laughs> yeah. learn something new? <laughs> does he want to sit down with Hoshi and learn how to like become a linguist or something like something like that? That never happens. Even on um, TOS, they had characters like little bits, little exchanges that were, you know, not what we'd see on TNG. They grew the characters. Even in the first season, Sulu loved plants, yeah. likes to take his shirt off for no reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, uh, you know, uh, Spock is noodling around on the loot, and that's all well and good. And yeah. then uh, in the third season, uh, it helps him uh, break through to some, to some hippies. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, just finding like different uh, sort of as- aspects or hooks on these characters and uh, letting them sort of hook into other things is something that I think when the show and when the franchise is clicking, uh, it-, it does really well. Um, this episode is a departure, but as you sort of obliquely pointed out earlier, it's not that big of a departure. It's uh, basically like the Maltese Falcon in space. And it's we've talked about uh, noir and noir elements in the show before, but it works surprisingly well here. And it's not the kind of story that you would expect Captain Jean-Luc Picard to get himself wrapped up in. Uh, him being an archaeology nut <laughs> kind of makes sense, though. Yeah. He's a nerd. Like, Picard's a nerd. Oh, yeah, I yeah. love it. But that guy's a nerd. He brings Ulysses to a sex planet. Like, he's... Yeah, you're <laughs> at the sex planet. At least take... take Fifty Shades of Grey yeah. or something. <laughs> That's classical literature. At but this that, point, yeah. <laughs> but no, they, um, yeah, Picard takes Ulysses to a sex planet. Uh, doesn't even seem to be doing any, I'm going to go on nature walks or anything, which if I was stuck in a starship for years at a time, even with the holodeck, maybe I'd want to go see some waterfalls. See, yeah, real waterfalls. Walk yeah. along a beach. It's space Hawaii. <laughs> and what you're spending your time there. Yeah. And uh, the way he gets roped in is uh, 
And it's really fun to watch because, you know, anybody that's ever watched any kind of story unfold in a mystery narrative knows, oh, I know what's going to happen. That dame's going to lead him down the wrong way. Right. It's so much fun watching him at first fight it and then kind of embrace the adventure. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, he, like you say, Stuart, you could tell he was definitely in it, in it to win it with this one. He, He wanted to do this kind of episode. And uh, one of my favorite things is um, there's a uh, echo of a TOS episode uh, when Beverly Crusher confronts him about his um, fitness, uh, about his crew fitness. There's a scene in the episode Shore Leave on TOS where Spock comes in with crew fitness reports uh-huh. and uh-huh. rattles off um, – that you know, Kirk. That this that this person is showing signs of stress and fatigue. The reaction times down, et cetera, et cetera. And Kirk's like, that that person needs uh, their rating is terrible. And it's like he's becoming irritable and quarrelsome. Like this is a report from McCoy. He's saying this guy refuses to take rest. And Kirk's like, oh, it's me, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, yeah, you got to go down to the planet. And uh, Beverly Crusher does that exact same thing with Picard. Goes. Look, this guy's being a real jerk on the ship. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, want to get rid of the jerk for a while? Yeah, we, should, we probably should. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute, yeah. it's me. Yeah, <laughs> dude, they always—you always get in Star Trek the Doctor like threatening to remove the captain. Like, do they do they really have that power, or is it is it debatable? Um, well, in the Star Trek uh, novel Doctor's Orders, written by Diane Duane. Kirk gives McCoy command of the Enterprise on a dare and then goes and gets lost. (laughs) (laughs) And McCoy, because it was a medical transfer, can't give command to Spock. So he's got to be the captain. He's stuck with it. (laughs) He's stuck with it. So, so, yeah, I I do think that in, like, a, a doctor could say, you need to not sit in the center chair for three days. Yeah. I don't know if they could actually take command away effectively unless there's obvious they're mentally unwell or (laughs) physically harmed beyond belief. Uh, I'm thinking of the, I'm thinking of something like uh, the Doomsday Machine, where you know, yeah. to Commodore Decker's not looking good, but they just can't yeah. get him out of that chair. But he was so loud. Yeah, he was the loudest. Yeah, <laughs> he, was, he was so loud, and like you don't want to get yelled at. <laughs> um, this episode, uh, when you you know, once you know or, or you realize that it's kind of following this uh, Maltese Falcon, you know, Dashiell Hammett esque script. Uh, it really does cleave just directly to that. And I'm not criticizing uh, Bear as a writer for this, but I think once he probably found that, it got a lot easier to write, I'd imagine, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, You know, we've got this uh, sort of slinky, mysterious woman. You've got (laughs) Max Krudenchik, who, oh, thank God they found this guy. You know, like, I just, uh, he's so good as Rom, and he's just such a nice guy and such a great actor. Brodenchik is having, is uh, again, having so much fun. Brodenchik. It's like I get to be the 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 Peter Lorre character. Yeah. I get to be the guy that's like manipulating everyone. I'm going to get what I want out of this. Yeah, and of course, you know, uh, an enlightened 24th century human like uh, Jean Luc Picard is no Sam Spade, so he's not going to no. treat him exactly the same way. But we do get that great moment when he takes the gun off of him and everything's fine, and he just. 
bam, just hits him in the face yeah. like Sam Spade yeah. would. It's good stuff. Yeah, the uh, Gordon Jack's performance is ah, uh, he's a great actor for the roles he he has. Yeah. Uh, it's he's, always fun to see him pop up in stuff because he's in feature films and he's in other TV shows and it's like, oh, wow, it's, it's Max, Max. Yeah, uh, he uh, the, the guy that played the doctor on um, on uh, Enterprise, that guy, you know, the guy Billingsley. Yeah, he's, he's always Billingsley. I'm always like, hey, Billingsley. Yeah, Love that guy. But yeah, um, the the way they that this, that this episode's kind of constructed it like tells you right off the bat, it's going to be a light episode. Yeah. yeah. Like within like Picard being grumpy on the bridge in the first minute tells you, well, this is going to be an episode where they're going to do something a little different. And, um, you know, this was pre, they didn't do a lot of just straight comedy episodes on TNG. Yeah. Or for, for as long as the running time was, and this is a good adventure comedy episode, even though it does lean more into adventure. But the uh, the whole idea of this thing that destroys entire worlds, and Picard's first impulse isn't to just just destroy it the second he sees it. Right. Like, like I'm sorry, fire phaser at it, destroy it, make if they can worry about that in the future. Yeah, he does. <laughs> I, that's one thing I wanted to bring up is that I like how uh, Patrick Stewart ends up playing Picard in this episode. But I think once you get through the initial, like the first two acts where he's crabby. He doesn't want any part of this sex planet. And then we start the, um, the, the noir plot. He does act a little bit out of character in that. Like you said, they go, Hey, there's this weapon that can destroy entire stars. And he's like, "Hmm, okay, I'll keep my eye out for it. And he's, he has to play coy like the, the PI would in this and not take a side, but you're right. Like Picard would absolutely be like, Okay, we got to take care of this thing right now. If this thing threatens the lives of billions of people. I need to <laughs> yeah. do my and like he doesn't ever go. You know, my oath as a Starfleet captain is to help you know life flourish, et cetera, et cetera. Whatever their oath is, I presume it's something nice about sure. being nice to preserving peace. Blah blah blah. Yeah, like uh, that that and the the amazing spin he does when he does the transporter move, the yeah. the leap and, and <laughs> yeah. tumble. Yeah. Like did Pat like they, they either got a really good stuntman or Patrick Stewart like they had a mat right rolled out for him <laughs> to do the leap tumble and and transporter move yeah to get rid of the device at the end and and like you mentioned it is a star destroying device which you know Saran who knows maybe he created the quandary where Saran had a breakthrough et cetera et cetera oh maybe I'm sure I'm sure there's probably a novel about that <laughs> there's got to be or a comic book yeah. It's an interesting twist, too, to have him as the upright uh, Starfleet Captain Picard that we know kind of immediately believe like the uh, the Vorgans, you know, from the 27th yeah. century. They come in. They're like, you know, we're the cops here. We're on the level. And then it, it sets up, you know, later on for him to go, wait a minute. I don't think these these guys are full of full of crap here. Yeah. Like, I guess I, I think the. He has always kind of dealt with people showing up from the future and showing up <laughs> yeah. from the past. And, sure. I'm a trusted authority figure. You can trust me because I said so. Yeah. Unlike, uh, uh, I guess Kirk would be like, no, really? 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 You're going to tell me? I don't believe that. But uh, Picard's uh, a, more, a more generous person. 
Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, and he's willing to uh, to change his mind when he gets more uh, information. Yes. Um, this movie not only is noirish, but it also is uh, sort of an adventure esque movie. Uh, of course, in the second half, when they put on their jodhpurs, and he oh. that's, he's wearing a women's blouse. That's a woman's blouse. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, and they go off on their adventure with their uncomfortable backpacks, and uh, it's fun camping with uh, Jean Luc. I'm gonna say it. They had sex in a cave without like an air mattress or anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, you don't think that's that's you're a Starfleet captain. Show some dignity, man. Yeah, right. There's got to be a blow up or, or something. We have all kinds yeah. of technology in the future. What What do you think about Vash and Picard, sort of as a as a duo? Like I I was thinking about like Picard's loves in the, his life and series, and there aren't really you know a lot to choose from. What do you think she ranks? I, I rank her pretty highly because she's such the opposite. And I think that there's a part of Picard that is attracted to somebody, somebody who is doing kind of the opposite of what he does. Yeah. He, he seeks to gain greater knowledge for everyone. She uses her knowledge and interest in things to make profit, which to him is a crazy, I probably as a Starfleet officer, Money, you have to worry about pay and making in that's so alien, like her lifestyle is so alien to him. Um, I mean, obviously, Crusher is kind of the one who got away, yeah. And we literally see that in all good things. Um, I like Vosh, I like Vosh quite a lot. I, I do think that she is pretty simplistic, though. Like, like both of her appearances uh, that I've seen. I don't know. She shows up outside of here in Cupid, does she? She shows up on uh, DS9 in Qless. Oh, which I've not watched. Mm. Uh, so, yeah. And her embracing the Q, I think that was actually, I like her for that. Like when Q's like, I've got, she's cool. I'm going to go do space <laughs> things with this chick. This chick's great. I'm going to hang out with her for a while. Yeah. Which is something that I, if I were Picard, I'd be really jealous of. Oh, yeah. Like getting to explore the universe and see all these great events. Right. And also Q's in love with me. Oh, the way of Q and Q and Picard, like uh, my wife was watching going, did they like address this? And I'm like, Nope. They nope. are. They do. Uh, are They are in bed together in one scene. <laughs> in, they uh... are. Yeah. But they're never <laughs> like, they never like Q's never like, you're the only human that, you know, I ever want to spend time with or anything like he never, he never says he loves him, but he loves him. Yeah. I know that it's the function of uh, all these shows are produced by the same production studio and, uh, you know, we like the character Q and he keeps showing up. But I have this like headcanon theory that, you know, the only real important there's something really important about the ships and stations that we see because this omnipotent being Q appears to to the Enterprise, to DS9, to Voyager. Like there's just something they're, they're yeah, like, touched well, somehow and more important than yeah, other Starfleet like crews. Is, yeah, like yeah. Nexuses. Yeah, nexuses. Uh, much like Doctor Who. Yeah, right. It's Doctor Who done right. Let's just say that. Let's just let's just get all the nerds mad at him. Yeah. Q, Q and Gary Seven are Doctor Who done right. Yeah, Gary Seven. Oh boy. Yeah, that's yeah. I don't even know that. But there was that crossover novel with Q and Trelane. Right. So I wonder if they ever did Q and Q and Gary Seven. Those two would probably have. They, interesting Greg Cox. Stuff. I'm sure Greg Cox has done something with that. Yeah. I'm sure. That's his, that's his bread and butter. But yeah, uh, but going back to this episode, uh, I do like that um, it has pretty expansive sets. 
yeah. in set pieces. Yeah. Um, uh, which is like when we watch the inner light, I'm like, oh, they built a town square and a house. And they just keep reusing those two sets. Yeah, yeah. But this one, there's actually, you know, a couple of cabins that I'm sure are just refitted versions of each other. There's the outdoor place. There's the, the cave set, which the cave set is. I love Star Trek caves. Yeah. But they don't look like the real thing at all. But they're perfect. You know what? You know where they are. Yeah, they built the giant horgon. Yeah, they uh, they they just love the, uh, the. There's something about the way they look, and uh, Picard with a shovel. That's something we need more Star Trek characters using shovels. <laughs> it's just 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 not like a shovel seems like something Worf would really like to have. Yeah, if... like Worf would have a shovel and just go. This is a really good thing. Right, this does two things. It hurts people. And it makes holes. <laughs> My bat left I can't make a hole with a bat left. <laughs> right. <laughs> there, everything on Ryza seems uh, like it has some, you know, dual purpose, and maybe you want to wash your hands afterwards. But there's a re- there's that really weird scene when uh, the uh, Deidre's character uh, throws like the the Star Wars training remote <laughs> at Picard a couple yeah. times, the floating ball. Yeah. <laughs> it just comes comes out of nowhere. Yeah, that one. That that's. There's a, there's a real awkwardness. Like you could tell they were like, we have to direct this. We have to like do this. And it's like, it's 24th century fun is always so awkward. To watch. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, unless it's a uh, computer enhanced, like an insurrection where they're doing the hacky sack dance or whatever. And they're kicking the yeah. like, hacky sacks around. Yeah. That, and that just looks really fake. But like 24th century fun, just always like every time they even, even like uh, I watched uh uh, uh, I Borg and uh, sure is that the one with uh, Whoopi uh, with Guinan and Picard fencing? Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and like that doesn't look fun. And and fencing's like one of those things that cinematically is always supposed to be fun. Like they don't know how to portray fun in the next generation. <laughs> I think except they... for the baseball episode, which makes baseball look fun, which means it's all in reverse. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, yeah, the more archaic thing. That's why they're always like going back in time to like old yeah. French bars and the holodeck because that's why they want to yeah. get back to a fun time. There's, uh, I'm worried about data safety always in Star Trek, and there's a big no-no in this uh, first or the first scene of this episode where the uh, Vorgons show up and they are using the um, Atari computer at Ryza to like find out where Picard is, and it just tells them. Here's here's yeah. who's staying here. Here's the rooms that they're in. It's a real like data uh, privacy violation. Oh I, yeah, I that definitely did not do the GDPR data protection. Yeah, and it's a sex planet yeah. too. I know everybody's cool in like the 24th century, but you still might not want people to know you're on the sex planet. And it is the captain of the Federation's flagship. Right. Like that means like. A couple of Romulans that that filed their foreheads down could beam down and ask that question. Yeah, right. This is General Schwartzkopf. Like, we don't want to let everybody know yeah. where he's going, right? <laughs> I have to wonder how Ryza works uh, exactly. Um, I mean, I'm not qualified uh, really to to examine this, but we get the. I mean, we come back here in DS9 for the episode that uh, Bear wrote, let he who is without sin. And we get a little more background on how the people who live and work there feel about it. Um, and there's some people that don't like it necessarily, but you have to wonder, it's so easy to just write, they go to a pleasure planet. But if you're going to take that all the way, you have to start talking and thinking about how it fits into your society and what you're saying about 
you know, prostitution, sex work, that sort of thing. It's one thing to just have Scotty flip a light on and off because he likes the belly dancer. But now we're in Riza and we've got Jamaharon and all this other stuff. And it's like, how does it work? Well, and what is the economy like? Right. That's another thing. Like, is do people do sex work in the future because they like having sex and helping people? Which is why a lot of people in the present day turn to sex work is because they like sex and they like helping people. Sure. But they get paid. Uh, but they get paid. <laughs> yeah. Is it all like, tax supported and government subsidized? Or? I, I need I need to sit down with the book Treconomics and figure out like yeah. what how next generation's economy is supposed to work. Yeah. Because uh, as as a, as avowed like straight up anti capitalism as I am, I do believe in the marketplace and I do believe that people should be able to exchange money for goods and services and establish an economy. Sure. And if you go to a place where there's no money, like. Why would anybody choose to clean the rooms? Yeah, right. <laughs> it's on the sex planet. Yeah. Like, I don't care how much you you can automate things. Somebody's got to put the fold down service on the sex planet involves a human being. Right. Yeah. Who's putting the mints on the pillow? Because they don't do droids. They don't do droids in Star Trek. Right. Because if it droids, they can just say, oh, we use C-3PO units. Don't ask about their intelligence. Because <laughs> that puts you down another, like, their right. slave. Yeah. Talk about that. They call people master, they're slaves. We don't talk about that. <laughs> yeah, right. But next generation, like establishing that, you know, that's one of my favorite things about TOS is that they're people doing a job. They're getting paid. Oh yeah. There was I was watching um God, what was it? I was uh I Mud, I think, the other day. And one of the yeah. the reason that Mud flee uh, fl- is hiding on this planet this time is that he uh violated some patents or something like that. He didn't yes. pay for some patents. And that was like the I've always wondered how money worked in the 23rd century, but at that point, that was like the straw that broke the camel's back. And I'm like, these people get paychecks. There's absolutely money still at this point in the Federation. Yes. They make a big deal out of it, you know, in Picard's time, but there's an economy still. There has to be. Yeah. And, you know, Vaj is making a profit off doing what she does. So, yeah. yeah. I, what do you do? What do you do with your money? I do. Do you buy your own spaceship? Is that like how the economy works? Is if if you work, you're kind of earning money to get above the basic level of living. Uh, and if that's true, that's kind of an interesting thing because that means that if there's universal basic income right. and replicators and everything, let us take care of everything, then people are like, I really want a spaceship. I really want my own transporter pad. I want a I don't moon. Want the transporter pad. Yeah, right, right. I want my own holodeck. My uh, government-issued uh, Geo Metro isn't enough. I want something snazzier yeah. than this, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I think that would all, you know, that would make sense, and I think it's actually addressed in Treconomics, so if people want to check that out, yeah, uh, I should. check out. I need to sit down with it. I think I actually do have a copy of it. I'm just not read the darn thing yet yeah well check it out uh, i have and it's really great we actually interviewed uh, manu sadia on the show yeah. um so check that out listeners um well something else that i wanted to say before we kind of wrapped up here and it was that um this episode uses time travel which even at this point in trek was pretty worn out but it does it in what i think is an intriguing way and i think that it was born merely out of just wanting to be more interesting like i think they were writing it and thinking okay we've got this object people are going after it but it, it can't just be 
from an oh it's an alien object from another civilization like what if it was from the future and i think that that's you know a neat little thing it doesn't have a lot of effect on the story although apparently it did have more effect in earlier drafts of the script there's a little bit of dialogue at the end of the aired episode where they talk about how the you know they're time travelers so they could try it again and we get the i i didn't really understand what that was at first like do they mean they're going to be in a time loop or some other version of them is going to do this. And I think there were scenes that were cut that were more explicitly talking about how it was, you know, the, the future people were going to try it again. And like the end of the script was originally like a repeat of an earlier scene in act two, like when he meets Vash for the first time and they took that out because I mean, that's super confusing. That, that is confusing. That's a super intriguing idea, the idea of putting something in the far distant past where nobody can access it. Yeah. Like, like if you could take something, put it in a sealed vault of some kind, transport it like to the pre-Cambian era on Earth. Sure, yeah. Bury it uh, and set it up with a beacon that starts up in, you know, 200 million years or something. Yeah. That, uh, that would be, of course... Why not just bury it in the future then? If you can yeah, go yeah, back. If you could travel. Yeah, right. <laughs> that, that's the thing. I just read. Um, There's no dinosaurs in the future. For that new blog I was doing, I just read The Entropy Effect. Okay. Which is a really thrilling novel that's ambitious and it features Spock time hopping a bunch. Okay. Um, to try to to try to try solve the problem. Yeah. Which is Captain Kirk's been murdered by one of Spock's oldest and most respected teachers. Okay. So, like, he has to figure out where in the timeline things diverged. Sure. And that was that was a lot of fun. But, yeah, th- by that point, I love the idea of people from the future coming to the past saying, where's the thing? Yeah. Where's the thing? Right. We need the thing that you guys have. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I probably would have enjoyed the repeat of the scene from earlier in the episode as, like, a tag at the first watching, but then it would start to gnaw at me. Yeah. After it's definitely one of those things you'd be like, oh, that's clever. Oh, does that mean the show has never actually gone past that? Yeah. Which, say what you will about the Abrams movies, and I know a lot of people say a lot of things. The way they explain cause and effect in time travel, in like a minute in Star Trek 2009, it's just one of those things I'm like, I admire your brevity. Yeah. And your explain it it's a good way to do it too like i like the access that time travel gives uh, a writer or a creator in a story it allows them you know you can meet george washington but but i i am i'm in favor of limiting it so it's just you don't want time. Yeah, yeah you don't want time's arrow yeah yeah right yeah you, you want like a, Star Trek four you, yeah right you want like a doctor who thing where doctor who can go meet you know george washington but what's what they're going to do is kind of, you know, what already happened. And so they're just, they get to be present there, but it's, we're not going to necessarily completely or, you know, erase like a back to the future erase whatever happened, you know, you're going to disappear from the photograph and yeah. we'd have to have something, you know, it's sort of like, I like the fact that the aliens come back and they know they, they, in their records, they know that something happened, but they don't know exactly yes. what. And now they've inserted themselves into the thing. And it turns out, Oh, we're the guys that made him do transporter code 14. It's, oh, it's our fault. Yeah. It, um, yeah. Speaking of that end game, I think did a Avengers end game did a really <laughs> It's uh, working doing the time travel stuff. It did it by kind of like just bailing out of it and just being like, yeah, yeah, well, this is going to happen. So, yeah, <laughs> which it's is a, it's a strong it's choice. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, was there anything else that you wanted to say about this episode? I think we've done a pretty uh, good job covering uh, it. No, uh, like I said, I really like. I, I know the alien makeups kind of a little hinky by today's standards, but I've got to say, for the time, it was really ambitious. They and... look kind of like Neelix's ancestors. They do, and I've got to say, their costumes are terrible. Oh, they're awful. They have been so hot. Yeah, yeah. And so miserable to wear. But, like, the actual uh, head headpieces and the, the fact they were able to do that much acting out of it yeah, uh, was pretty incredible. I uh, uh, Overall, this is just, what I like is it's just a fun diversion. It gives you a little more insight into Picard. Patrick Stewart seems to be having a fun time. Which is one of my like big things when I go back and rewatch episodes. Yeah, does the cast look like they're having fun? Is kind of a thing for me. Sure, uh, and and he definitely seems to be uh, enjoying himself. Um, also, we get to say the name Chip Chalmers a bunch. Chip Chalmers, which, yep, <laughs> which is right up there with Chip Chutney from Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Oh, sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a good chip, a good, a good, a good chip name needs to go, uh, needs to be used as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great episode. It's fun, and it also just opens up Captain Picard. Can you imagine if he just remained like the stuffy guy that didn't like kids for seven years? Oh like, yeah, this is yeah. this is definitely a, a huge step in uh, getting him out there and making him the guy that we know and love today. Yeah, that uh, with between that with episodes like this, episodes like Family, yeah, um, uh, the Inner Light, where he actually discusses that he hated kids, but now he can't imagine not having yeah. kids. Yeah. And things like that. He's a uh, he's a uh, he's a heck of a performer. I'm really glad that we're going to get him back on the air yeah, uh, or too. on the internet, such as it were. Me too. Even if I'm going to have to wait a little bit before I get to see it, because got to catch up. But uh, yeah, it's so much fun. Yeah. You know what? He's funny, and that's the thing. Patrick Stewart's so good at humor. Oh yeah. And it's underused on Next Generation. Yeah, he only host, maybe he'll get to host SNL again. He only did it like that one time, and I thought that yeah. he was really great. Yeah, that's the thing. He's uh, like, like, like he and McKellen, British actors of that, you know, school. Yeah, when they get a chance to do comedy, they really seem to enjoy. It. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk my space dad. You beat up your space dad. I believe that your favorite space dad was Captain Kirk, uh, because he boldly went first. And he was the uh, your first captain. So I guess what I would like to know is, how do you think Kirk would have dealt with this situation in this episode? Uh, he would have effed his way through the entire episode. <laughs> he would have been after Vaj. <laughs> he would have, because here's the thing about Kirk. Like, on the original series, like, everyone makes fun of, like, that he has a lot of women, blah, blah, blah. But he, you know, genuinely engaged with those women and rarely... Uh, treated them as space floozies sure however he was a robust gentleman sure <laughs> so i think that he would probably the opening of the episode would be him stumbling out of a rise hotel going okay yeah no that's enough <laughs> I that anymore i need to read a book yeah <laughs> mccoy mccoy is going to kill me uh if he finds out what i've sprained <laughs> <laughs> And he's sitting down and reading a book, and then he gets sucked into the adventure. I think that he would have twigged to the um, Vorgons. By the way, their name is very close to Vogon. Yeah, I think that's a reference. That drives me a little crazy, yeah. but yeah. He would have twigged to the Vorgons instantly, and I think he would have um, pulled a one of his famous um, a piece of the action style. You know, oh, oh, you want me to help you? How about you help me? 
on uh, Mike Skrodenchek's uh, Ferengi, gotten him to do a bunch of the work. Sure. And then and then said, okay, I'm going to take this. We're going to take this away. You guys can't have this. I'm going to destroy it. Right. The end. The, uh, yeah, I think it would have been, a, I think it would have been uh, probably Vosh. I think he'd enjoy Vosh's company almost purely as a fun woman that he didn't want to sleep with. Okay. Because he could have had all the sex he wanted. Right. See, that's the thing. <laughs> he could have taken advantage of the hot and cold running sex. And then what? A woman who is my intellectual equal who wants to have an adventure? That sounds fun. Hmm. You're a tomb <laughs> robber, eh? Yeah. Guards just he's just not a guy that uh I mean he has that one other he has that one other relationship on TNG with the woman in uh yeah, Stellar did, Sciences. Yeah, they did duets uh, together on the piano. Yeah, yeah and and, and they, yeah, that's like that's the that's all for him and, and smooching. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, I want to see that episode now. Uh, <laughs> now that we've reached the end of the show, uh, you'll receive a promotion to the rank lieutenant junior grade. And last time you're on the show, uh, we I think we slotted you into the leisure department. The person yeah. making sure everybody's having a smooth voyage. Uh, and I guess uh, I'd want to know then how how would you <laughs> would you feel competition from a place like Riza? Uh, no, because because Riza is uh, about leisure. Riza is about leisure, but they but I can offer them leisure in space <laughs> when they're doing the deep, dark, terrible things. Right. And I can program film programs. Right. Right. And I can set up holodex uh, simulations of fun times. That yes, on Riza you can have sex because you have a sex totem that you carry around. <laughs> yes. But in my holodeck, you and Han Solo can get drunk. Whoa. <laughs> see or you or you know you can listen to music that's not classical music yeah or Riker on the trombone right right that'd be my that, that's it's like the funny thing about the enterprise there's only two kinds of music trombone classical right yeah and a, a string quartet right right and, and vulcan and vulcan liar that's it <laughs> i think that we were speculating uh the last time you were on the show about the life of somebody uh who yeah. does that uh like the isaac on the love boat you know is he yeah. happy and shaking drinks and then he goes back to his cabin and things aren't uh, quite as happy well with that that's uh we, i was talking to, uh, to my wife about uh Guinan and how yeah. she's the ship's other counselor yeah right She's the ship's other counselor, and she's the bartender. She's the McCoy, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's the McCoy uh, much more than than Crusher was in a lot of ways. Yeah, well, uh, it's Crusher too, was a great doctor. McCoy was everybody's doctor for their head and their heart. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. and it's yeah. too bad that we we go back to Riza in that DS9 episode, and we actually get you know like Vanessa Williams is um, one of the uh, counselors or workers there, but we yeah. never really get. She talks a little bit about what she does, but we never get an answer to that Isaac question, like what what is yeah. their life when they're not doing this. Yeah. Well, Lieutenant Church, thanks for joining me to talk about Star Trek in the Star Trek universe. If people want to continue the conversation, and they can at, at EISTPod on Twitter and the Enterprising Individuals Facebook page, where can people find you online? Uh, as I mentioned before, not on Facebook, but uh, at Kevin Church on Twitter. Yes. Uh, Theyboldlywent.com on uh, your web browser and... Uh, that's it. Uh, BokuKevin.com, B-E-A-U-C-O-U-P, the French word, BokuKevin.com has a bunch of links to things I do. But yeah. Okay. And thanks again for joining me. 
I had a great time, as always. We're signing off until the next mission. Hailing frequencies closed. And I'm Caliban. And we're the hosts of the Sailor Noob Podcast. I'm the expert. And I'm the noob. You're talking into the wrong end of the microphone. Aye, aye. Okay. Every week we watch a new episode of Sailor Moon and learn about monsters, fashion, food, culture, and of course, the Sailor Warrior of Love and Justice, Sailor Moon. All right. Now, what is her rank? Is she an admiral or a rear admiral? Okay, shh, shh. The ad's almost over. We're a couple of magical people, and every week we moon, prism, power, make up a new episode. Please stop that. Sailor Noob is available every Friday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Shiver me timbers. Daddy.